0: Yesterday I was watching something on the military channel, which we guys tend to do, some of us. There was a, a World War II vet there. I'll just call him the unknown World War II vet. But he said, freedom is never won in a single battle. It's something we have to fight for every day. And I said, man, I've got to write that down. <laughs> How appropriate. How appropriate. And how true. While the freedom and the victory that Christ won is settled and done. We are still here in a spiritual war. And we battle every day. Like it or not. Admit it or not. (laughs) Our uh, complacency and denial of it will just cause us to lose the battle that we in, whether we like it or not. Amen? Amen. So we're talking about that spiritual battle briefly today. Amen? Amen. Uh, John, the fifth chapter, if you want to uh, open your Bibles or your device, John, the fifth chapter, and then 1 Samuel, the seventeenth chapter. Take a look at David and Goliath something we all fairly familiar with i think in John the 5th chapter starting at the second verse say now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda Bethesda which has five roof colonnades in these lay a multitude of invalids blind lame and paralyzed One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I'm going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up. Take up your bed and walk. This is the English standard version. John five, verses two through nine, and the ninth verse is, "And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked." Hallelujah. Amen. That's beautiful, huh? Let's look at the fourteenth verse because I can stop there and go on for a long time, but' I'm trying to get to a point today. so let's look down to the fourteenth verse. Remember he had healed this man. and afterward it says, in the fourteenth verse, Jesus found him in the temple and said unto him, behold Now I'm back to the King James Version. Thou art made whole. Sin no more. Lest a worse thing come unto thee. Jesus said that sin causes the tragedies of our lives. And he's right to say so. Sin. Self-centeredness, rebellion against God, are the root of all grief and death. Death isn't just dying and leaving this natural body, but there's all sorts of death. Physical death, sickness, depression, poverty, strife, divorce, oppression. None of those things are from God, by the way. But all of it brings death into our life. Jesus asks us to live holy lives. And God never asks us to do anything that He hasn't made the provision for us to accomplish. He empowers us by His grace to do that very thing. Why? Because if we give in to sin, we yield ourselves to to Satan, The author of that sin. That's what the Bible teaches. And it says, what then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? This is Paul asking a rhetorical question. By no means. Paul used a lot of exclamation points. Three times he answered this question in the book of Romans. Because grace is so wonderful that if it's being preached properly, it should... It should bring about the question, does that mean I can do whatever I want? And then you have to answer, no, by no means. If he used any stronger remarks, he would have had to curse. (laughs) Do you know that when you offer yourselves as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one you obey, whether you are slaves to sin leading to death or to obedience leading to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you once were slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were committed. And Romans 4.8 says, God is not imputing sin against believers, doesn't it? That's a wonderful thing. That's because of Jesus. But though God is not in the New Covenant imputing or charging you with sin, if you belong to Christ, Satan is. Therefore, our actions either release the power of Satan or the power of God in us. Amen? Amen. Are you with me so far? We can't afford to give Satan an opportunity to produce death in our lives. This is the point. The way to stop this it says in First 1 John 1, 1.9 is to con- confess the sin and God is faithful and just to release forgiveness and wipe out that sin in our flesh. Amen? Amen? The blood of Jesus continually removes Satan and his strongholds from our lives, if we allow. So, our motive for living holy is supernatural as New Covenant believers because our new nature has been supernaturally changed. You've been given God's nature now. The nature you were born with, that sin nature, the nature of Satan himself, truth be known, has been removed from you if you have received Jesus as your Lord and Savior. So now there's nothing compelling you to continue sinning. Can't say the devil made me do it anymore. But you have a free will, so you're certainly able to if you want. So now, we don't live holy in order to obtain a relationship with God. But because of the relationship we already have with Him, this difference is so profound and important to understand. Does God make people sick? James 1.17 says, Only good and perfect gifts come from the Father above. Jesus said, I only do what I see my father do. And the book of Acts says that haven't you heard about this Jesus of Nazareth? He was anointed with the Holy Spirit and with power and he went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. They accused Jesus of always doing satanic things. He said, no, 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 no. John 10.10, the devil, the thief that he saw fall from heaven like lightning, he said, the thief comes not but for to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Praise God. I want to look at a familiar Bible story today that I mentioned before in 1 Samuel 17 to make a spiritual point which is consistent throughout the Old Testament and, and type and shadow, which I love. Folks, we're in a war, like I said, like it or not, and battles for that war are fought every day, but it's not against people. It's not against flesh and blood. Ephesians 6.12 says, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. That's the devil and his demons. Amen? Amen. Even though our enemies aren't people, they're still very real. And I want to talk to you today about making sure that these enemies are dead. <laughs> That's what I'm going to call this message today. Grace cuts off the head. First Samuel 17, starting at the 41st verse. Meanwhile... Let me just tell you, this was the story of David and Goliath. I shouldn't assume that we all know it. But the Philistine army was faced off against the Israelites. And it wasn't looking good for the Israelites. Uh, They had this Philistine giant. Who was out there mocking them and challenging them someone to come fight him? And they if they were to beat him, they would then that whole army would submit to them and and vice versa. And everybody basically knew they couldn't beat him. So they were scared. Well, they weren't thinking about the God who was with them. They were just looking at things in the natural, which we sometimes do. And David shows up, this little Young boy, ruddy, handsome, and not looking like a soldier at all. And he gets pretty upset when he sees this guy mocking God's people. And let's look in on 1 Samuel 17, the 41st verse. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield bearer in front of him, this is Goliath, kept coming closer to David. David was faced off with him. He had decided to fight this, this man. He looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome. King James says, ruddy. And he despised him. He despised him. He was like, look at, look at me. I'm the greatest warrior, the most strongest, fiercest warrior of all time, probably. And they sent out this little boy against me. So he despised him. He said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods, little G. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. Verse 45, David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin. But I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Smart boy. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. Verse 47. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's and he will give all of you into our hands. Verse 48, as the Philistine moved closer to attack David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. Verse 50, so David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone without a sword in his hand. He struck down the Philistine and killed him. Verse 51, David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from the sheath. After he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. Then the men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath and to the gates of Ekron. Their dead were strewn along the Sharim road to Gath and Ekron. When the Israelites returned from chasing the Philistines, they plundered their camp. David took the Philistines' head and brought it to Jerusalem. I think he put it there at Golgotha, to be honest with you. Place of the skull where Jesus inevitably would have been crucified. He put the Philistines' weapons in his own tent. Again, Ephesians 6.12 says we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Almost everything in that story is a picture in type and shadow in the natural of spiritual realities now. We're in a war. Like it or not, acknowledge it or not, we fight spiritual giants every day. But the problem is, we often make the mistake of quitting before the battle is complete. Instead of destroying our enemies, we just chase them out of our sight and let them live to fight us another day. Or worse, we just dress them up and make them a part of our everyday lives. If we aren't careful, we can become so comfortable with them that we will actually protect and harbor them. The Lord showed me this morning. He said, you know how I talk about building your house on the, the strong foundation, the rock on Jesus Christ, on his teachings, on his principles and his word, or the, the foolish man who builds on the sand they both go to the effort of building that same house but one is not solid and won't stand <clears throat> he says so many of my people are living in castles of sand and they're filled their castles with demonic house guests that they've disguised And have made them a part of their everyday life. This has to stop. David said in Psalm 18 verse 37. I have pursued mine enemies and overtaken them. Neither did I turn again till they were consumed. This scripture was never more clear in his life. Than the day he fought Goliath. He probably was thinking about that. When he wrote it. Along with the lion and the bear. And all the others he had. Killed in the Lord's work. David hated. Goliath. God's enemy and his. He hated him with a holy hatred. He killed him. He killed him on purpose. For purpose. He made sure. That the Philistines saw and knew for sure. No doubt in anyone's mind who had won. That's why he cut the head off. So that they could see. They were watching from off in the distance. They saw their champion laying there. But maybe there was some hope that he was still alive. And David wanted to make sure that they understood... This enemy will never come against God's children again. And you know what it caused the other enemies to do? (laughs) They ran. I'm here to tell you today, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Let me back up a little bit. It says, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. I remember... I remember all of the, the devils that uh, tried to kill me in Tavana. <laughs> I had invited most of them into our lives, I'm sure, and some of them came with us, <laughs> you know, just the way it is. Generational curses and all that, and then you just continue along those same lines, becoming the very thing you hate, and you invite more and more until there's legions and legions... I had played the Christian game for a long time. I remember sitting on bar stool in bar we owned telling people about Jesus. Of course, this was the Jesus of my imagination who was fine with everything that I did. I was a hypocrite. I had been baptized a couple of times, once drunk. I was on my way to hell. Make no mistake, I know that. I had never yielded my life to Jesus. I had incorporated him into mine. I had never allowed him to live through me. And I never did it for him. But then finally I did. And I remember how the world thought we were so foolish because, you know, we never walked into that bar again. We suffered a total loss on it, but we never set foot in there again. Game. That was, game. <laughs> that was game. game. Just like the vision when the Lord told, showed me all the trees holding the cars up, and we had all these titles to all these cars that people owed us. Maybe had made one payment on, and we could. <laughs> we weren't very good at this. No. Trusted everybody. <laughs> And that Christmas, we wrote a beautiful letter about love and forgiveness and the salvation we had found. And we mailed them out, those signed titles, to everyone we could find. Foolishness in the world's eyes, but not in God's. Cut off the head. Did the same thing with cigarettes. I remember Tavana had; she'd struggled with quitting. The Lord took cigarettes and alcohol from me like that. I was so thankful. But I know that He knew me going into ministry is what He was calling me to do, and so I had a an addiction to this little prescription drug, Xanax. And as I walked in the next weeks and a couple of months, I several months actually, I. Uh, you know, the church even told me, it's okay, that's a prescription drug. But I knew, mm, not so much. And I remember that one day, hearing that pill bottle, I was allowed to minister on Thursdays at lunch. At lunchtime, there was a prayer meeting, and that's when they were, the new people would get to minister. And uh, I heard that I was preaching my heart out about Abraham and Isaac, I think I even saw tears flowing down my wife's eyes. It was such an anointed and beautiful thing. And I was, we were so surprised, <laughs> really, that God was using me. But I could hear those pills rattling in my pocket. And that night, I determined I'll either die or I'll be free. And if God's word is true, and it is, then I have nothing to fear. My skin crawled and I sweated and refused that bottle of pills. Thought I was going to die. Mm-hmm. But somewhere before the sun came up, I fell asleep. And when I woke up, I was free. Amen. And when God sets you free, when the sun sets you free, you're free indeed. Now, there's no temptation for me with any of that. There's no day-to-day, I'm a this and I'm always going to struggle and I better call my support group. No, no, no. I'm free. Completely. Cut the head off, Frank. Cut the head off. No more. Huh? No more. Jesus did the same thing with the devil. Colossians 2.15 says... And having spoiled principalities and powers, Jesus made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. That's what he did to the devil. Kicked his teeth out. Took the keys to death, hell, and the grave. Listen, I want to... I want you to all walk in the victory that Jesus has obtained for you. I want that for all of us. And so does he. But we have to use the power. Provided by Jesus. By putting faith. In the supernatural grace. That he has provided. To give us that victory. Over any giant or obstacle. That comes against us in this life. We have a part to play. If you're battling something, even if you have obtained some relief, don't quit until you're experiencing everything that Jesus died to give you. Amen. So many people stop just short of the deadline. I mean, of the finish line, not the deadline. (laughs) When you make a decision to fully follow God, I mean... Your will is put away and you decide to be obedient to His. An honest and true Christian relationship in covenant. Becoming one with your heavenly bridegroom. No more options or outs. Then He begins to live through us and we find a strength that isn't our own. And it is the power of God to accomplish whatever test we go through. Because Paul said in Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Romans 16, 6.14 says, for, for sin shall have no dominion over me, no power, no hold over me, because I'm not under the law, but under grace. So this power is God's grace. You see? Where the law demanded, grace provides. It's Christ living through us. That's the secret of a victorious Christian life. It's not us living for Jesus, but Jesus living through us. There's a huge difference. Failure to understand this simple truth is the root of all legalism and the performance mentality that people talk about that they don't understand. Oh, that's the law. Oh, that's the law. They don't understand what they're talking about many times. This is it. The law focuses on the outer man and tells him what he must do. Grace focuses on the inner man and tells us what is already finished in Christ. When we focus on what we must do, we put ourselves under the law. When we focus on what Christ has done, we walk in the supernatural strength of the grace of God. The Christian life is impossible to live in human strength. The only way to be like Jesus and to do the works of Jesus is to let Jesus live through you. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. All things according to his will. That's where this comes in. If you'll put this in, then the Holy Spirit will remind you of everything Jesus has said. He can't remind you of something you don't have never heard. The strength of grace will help us stay the course and to finish strong and victoriously. Trying to live for Him will always be, will have some things that we still do our way. If we're trying just to live for Jesus, we'll do the best we can. You see, we'll we'll use that. We'll do the best we can, and but there's still going to be a lot of things involved in that life where you've incorporated Jesus, but still your life, your way, which you're trying to live for Jesus, but you're failing. In many ways you're successful, but other things you're not. And and just this this theology that says, well, I do the best I can and Jesus covered the rest. It it sounds right. But you can't be truly successful with that theology. Paul said, I no longer live, but Christ who liveth through me. Now, if Christ is living through me, then it's always going to be his way. If He's allowed to live through me, then He's not going to do things the way that I would have before. It's Him living through me. (laughs) So there's no struggle. There's no more struggle. There's no more strife. There's just agreement. Agreement. Amos 3.3 How can two walk together lest they be agreed? Well, I want to agree with God. I said, Lord, put me in a sack race with You, Lord, and let us win. Teach me how. To walk with you stride for stride. Amen. 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 Father we thank you for this. We thank you for this word. This time together. Thank you Lord for having it your way your word. Thank you, Lord, that your truth is so simple, yet we make it so hard. Help us to get past the flesh, to walk after the Spirit so we will never fulfill the desires of the flesh. That we can walk in harmony and relationship and union, unity with you and with, with other believers and we can love And receive your love. Thank you, Lord, for teaching us how to love so perfectly. Help us to become the children, the sons and daughters that Jesus died to equip us to be. Help us to walk in the power and authority that you've given us as sons and daughters. The power. To live free. Free from sin. Free from sickness. Free from strife. Free from poverty. Free from disease. Free from hatred. We choose you today, Father. Your way. Always. Help us to forgive quickly. Knowing how much we've been forgiven. Help us to always remember this is just a brief life and that eternity is a long, long time with you. And we thank you, Jesus, that you've gone ahead of us to prepare a place for us. If it weren't true, you wouldn't have said it. We look forward to seeing you, Lord. But meanwhile... Help us to live out the life that you have written for us in strength and success. Help us to allow you to live through us. Help others to see you in us. Help us to be that light on a hill. In Jesus' name.